Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Captain Hunter's Podcast, a podcast that is dedicated toward bridging the divide between the police and the communities that they serve. Many episodes we have focused on the community, many episodes we have focused upon the police. Today, we're going to focus upon the community once again, and we're going to have a difficult conversation uh, about something that uh, is, has affected many people in different professions. A lot of times we think, and we have talked about on this show, the different suicide rates amongst um, police uh, officers, but today we're going to focus on the suicide rates and even just the dealing with self-doubt and the anxiety and depression that many others and other professions deal with and face and, and, and have on a, on a constant basis. Um, certain professions that we not, would not think have high suicide rates, such as police officers, well, we not already, such as doctors and nurses and lawyers. Uh, these also, these people in these professions also deal with self-doubt, anxiety, depression, and yes, suicidal ideations, thoughts, and attempts. Sometimes those attempts are unfortunately successful. So today we have Dr. Nicole B. Washington going to help us to understand all this and unpack all this and just have a great conversation about it. She joined us on Facebook Live. I really, really appreciate her coming on. Remember, we do Facebook Lives every sun, every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every sun, every Monday. Why do you want to say Sunday? Every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we do uh, Facebook Lives. Although for the summer of 2021, I'm going to take a really extended vacation from podcasting. A lot of episodes you need to catch up on and uh, make sure I put out to, to you, the consumer. And I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time and effort to listen. But we're going to have a great conversation with an actual psychiatrist today as she has dealt with many people in different professions in, in particular, the mental health profession who are dealing with and suffering from um, depression uh, and feelings of self-doubt and, and all that type of thing. She's a consultant. She's a speaker. She's a real doctor. I'll read to you her bio right quick. Dr. Nicole B. Washington uh, earned her doctorate from osteopathic medicine uh, from Oklahoma State University. Um, uh, she got received her master's from public health from the University of Chicago. She's a highly respected physician in her field. She's a board certified psychiatrist, speaker, author, and consultant who's always had affinity towards working with populations who aren't typically consumers of mental health services. His focus on population health led her to complete her master's of public health with emphasis in policy and administration. While completing her MPH, she became interested in physician mental health and was stunned at the data surrounding physician mental health and physician suicide. Further research also indicated that physicians weren't the only professions dealing with untreated mental illness or mental health issues, largely due to stigma surrounding mental illness. So there's much more to read about her and we'll get into it as we as we discuss uh, go through the podcast. But this is a problem. This mental health stigma is something that law enforcement, as we've talked about many times, is, is still really, really dealing with. And dealt with in the black community, it's dealt with in the law enforcement community, and now we know it's dealt with within the mental health community. Many of these populations, particularly law enforcement and the mental health community, think that they are supermen, think that they are superwomen, think that they, because they are have a certain status or have a certain level of education, that they don't suffer from the same anxieties, depressions, uh, highs and lows, same uh, everyday life situations that everyone else deals with. That's just not the case. We really need to break down this, this stigma around mental health, and so that way we can save the lives of people who are dealing with it, save them a lot of pain, trouble, and get them the help that they need if they really just believe and know 
other people, no matter what their profession, still dealing with and suffering from uh, mental health uh, issues. So I really, really appreciate Dr. Nicole coming to join us once again every Monday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time talk about different issues. I really, really appreciate her coming on the show. Um, so without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, you all know the, the typical, um, uh, the, the routine uh, announcements that I give. Make sure you follow us, rate, subscribe, share. Follow me on Instagram, CPTLHunter, Twitter, CPTLHunter. I'm also on LinkedIn, Lawrence Hunter. Um, uh, also uh, on Facebook, Captain Hunter's Podcast, YouTube, Captain Hunter's Podcast as well. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is the episode with Dr. Nicole B. Washington. But I appreciate you coming on, so we're not going to uh, delay the time. So thank you so much, Dr. Nicole Washington. Yes, I'm going to flip my light switch real quick. Okay. Just so that if uh, for some reason it gets cloudy outside, I still have my light. Okay. Okay. Where are you located at? Oklahoma. Oh, okay. Okay. I think you're yeah. the very first Oklahoman that I've had on. So congratulations. Yeah, I'm, I don't consider myself an Oklahoman, but yes, I do live here. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know if I said that right. Is it Oklahoman or Oklahoman? Yeah, Oklahoman. They call themselves Okies. I'm, I'm. I don't. I don't consider myself an Okie in Oklahoma. Okay. But, you know, where, I'm not. From, you? I'm from Louisiana. Oh, okay, okay. So how'd you get to Oklahoma? How'd Med school. Med school. Mm -hmm. uh, and I oh, just yeah, yeah. yeah. Just stayed. okay. Thought I'd okay. leave. I stayed. Okay. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And if you would just take a moment there just to tell us about yourself, you, you Oklahomian, you. Oh. <laughs> right. right. Um, so I, I am I am born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I, I consider myself a Louisianian and not a an, an Oklahoman, uh, even though I have been here over 20 years now. My kids are Okies, as they call themselves here. Um, but I, for some reason, I just can't let it go. I can't, I can't commit to being, to being an Okie. So I still claim Louisiana. Uh, a lot of my family is still there. Um, but I um, went to Southern University in Baton Rouge, went to HBCU and just kind of had this desire to be a doctor since I was four years old. You know, the little doctor kits and the you know, I pretended to check people's blood pressures and reflexes and my family just they were willing participants and just let me do all that. And so I just from that age, I just kind of knew like that was what I wanted to do. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Um, didn't know psychiatry was going to be on the radar. I just kind of assumed I'd do something like pediatrics or deliver babies or something like that. It never occurred to me in a million years that I would be um, doing psychiatry. So that was kind of a surprise even for me, um, that that was something that I fell in love with and kind of found a passion for. Um, I don't know if most people know this, when you go to medical school, traditionally the first two years are classroom work. The last two years are experiential. So you are in all the different areas of medicine trying to figure out like, what do I like? What do I mm -hmm. want to do with the rest of my life? So, um, and then it's after med school that doctors specialize and decide, you know, what area they want to go in. But those last two years are pretty much like clinical rotations and you're, you know, going from area to area and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this, don't want to do that. 
Um, but I started off those years knowing I didn't want to do psychiatry. Like I knew it for a fact. If you had asked me like, hey, what do you want to do? I was like, oh, anything but psych. Like I don't want to be a psychiatrist. And um, I realized looking back, it was because in my mind, psychiatrists were kind of, you know, strange white men. And I was like, this is not for me, right? Like I grew up in the deep South. We were not going to see a psychiatrist. We were, we were, that was not happening. Um, and I, it just, I was like, okay, well, that's just, that's off the, off the books for me. Mm. And when I got to my psych rotation, it just, I mean, I just fell in love. Like I fell in love with working with um, my, my real heart lies with working with people who have severe mental illness, um, the, the people with schizophrenia who are talking to other people that nobody else can see or who are paranoid or the bipolar people who have severe illness and are manic or the people who, you know, just for whatever reason, just, you know, mentally are not having the best go at things. And so the, that's where my heart lies. And I loved it. Um, and I, I still love it. Is It just like it, there's something about meeting somebody at one of the lowest points in their life and helping them kind of get to this place where they can have some level of mental clarity and being able to help people celebrate small victories because everybody's you know, most stable is not going to be going to college and living independently and having a family. You know, some people's peak stability may be, you know, just staying out of jail or being able to live alone um, or being able to stay out of the hospital, you know, for a long time. And so learning how to meet people where they are and then figuring out how to get them to what is the best them they're going to be um, and being okay with that uh, is, is, is really rewarding. So I, I love that. Very nice. So, so you go through this uh, rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, first you said, I don't want to be a doctor or a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And then you get to that particular part of the rotation and say, you know what? I want really want to be a doctor. So was there a certain point or certain thing that clicked in your mind and said, uh, it was a certain event essentially that says, okay, this is really this is it. Well, I, I mean, I always knew I was going to do something in medicine. I surely was not thinking psychiatry, though. And so, um, I mean, I fought it. Like, I, I kept thinking, oh, maybe I could do peds. Like, maybe maybe I could be a family medicine doctor. Maybe. I don't think you fought it very hard. Doesn't sound like that. <laughs> I did. I fought it for like a year. So I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I kept trying to come up with other ways that I could make it happen. Um, and it just, on every every clinical rotation I was on, I kept getting drawn to taking care of the people on those rotations who had some kind of mental health disorder. So even if I was on my surgery rotation, I was taking care of the person with depression who was, you know, who had had surgery post-op or I was, you know, on OB, I was drawn to the moms who were struggling, you know, with depression or anxiety or in family medicine or internal medicine in the hospital. You know, I wanted to take care of that person who, you know, had schizophrenia and who was, you know, nobody else really wanted to take care of. So I was just drawn to to those patients, regardless of what area I was in. And finally, I just said, okay, well, clearly this is this is where your happiness lies. Because I needed to find something that if I got awakened at three in the morning, I was going to be okay with being awakened by. So that was my that was my measure. I like my sleep. And so if I get awakened at three in the morning by somebody who's suicidal or hearing voices or agitated or something like that, I can live with that. You know, I might be upset if it's something else. <laughs> That that I can handle, I, and I don't know this. How many how many rotations are there, or what different types? Um, I mean, is there a number. It's or, a couple years, and so it's um it's a a mix of hospital and 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 like clinic medicine, but it's OB/GYN and it's pedi pediatrics and general surgery, and sometimes there's some 
specialty surgeries like uh, cardiothoracic surgery thrown in there. Um, you may you may do. I did lots of family medicine. The school I went to was really focused on primary care, so I did lots of family medicine. But I spent a month with a nephrologist and a month, you know, in general intern on the floor on the medical unit. You know, I spent. Um, psych, of course, and psychiatry, um, pediatrics. I did a couple months of that. Um, just pretty much any area of medicine you can think of. You have electives, right? So you have times where you can choose. So if I had been interested in ENT or dermatology or like ear, nose, and throat, or if plastic surgery, or if there was any kind of medicine that I thought I wanted to do but you know hadn't had the opportunity to do yet, I could have gone ahead and uh, been able to to try those things. And it's just, you know, that's how your doctors figure out what in the world it is they want to do. You know, they get a chance to do a lot of different things and get their feet, you know, get the feet wet, see what they like, see what they don't like and kind of go from there. So I was having a conversation with a, a doctor. I had some, you know, going to the doctor mm -hmm. and uh, I was talking about uh, almost the same thing that we're talking about, you know, how, how they choose this. It was actually an eye doctor that I was talking to. Uh-huh. And then I was talking, and then we started talking about something, uh, the cardiothoracic surgeon. And she's like, listen, those cardiac, cardiac thoracic surgeons, they're, they're like a different breed of people. <laughs> so, so is that, is that something like doctors say amongst themselves, all those people are, you know, the, those people, those podiatrists over there or, or those, those ear, nose and throat doctors over there. Is that, is that something that you guys kind of go back and forth at each other? They're, they're, you know, <laughs> different, different specialties tend to have different personalities that go into those specialties. I mean, I think you have to be, I mean, I guess a special breed of person um, to to be confident enough to cut somebody's chest open and to do well they better like, be. <laughs> yeah, like that's a like that it, that takes a that takes just a lot of confidence and you know, surgeons get a bad rap for being arrogant a lot of times and people will say, oh, surgeons are arrogant. And you think, but you, you know, you almost have to really walk that fine line, don't you, to be able to like have to know that I'm going to cut this person open. I'm going to fix what's wrong with them and I'm going to save their life and I'm going to do, you know, it takes, we're all very different. So we all go into different things. All of my friends say to me, I have no idea how you do psychiatry. Like most of my doctor friends are like, how do you even do that? I don't even know if I could deal um, doing psychiatry, but for me, it's perfect. Like it's just perfect. I'm super patient. I don't, I'm not real quick to react to stuff. So it just fits. It's just like, okay, well, that's fine. Is that what we're going to do today? All right. That's what we're going to do today. Um, so it just, I think we all have our little personalities and quirks that really kind of help us and shape kind of what area we go into. But yeah, each, each specialty tends to have their own little personalities that people assume that most people have that go into into that specialty. Yeah, so I, I I can definitely definitely see that. So I actually had um I actually had a triple bypass. So the cardiac thoracic surgeon you know cut me open. So a couple of stories about that. So he comes to me. So they do the surgery, and then he comes to see me that night, like eleven o'clock at night. So they do the surgery like seven o'clock in the morning, and then eleven o'clock at night, you know, I'm I, he comes in the room. I'm like, man, doc, you know, it's I really appreciate you coming to see me, but it's eleven o'clock at night. <laughs> He's yeah. like, oh yeah, don't, don't worry about it. I'm downstairs doing another surgery. No, you're not. <laughs> you're up here with me. <laughs> so I just thought I just thought that was pretty funny. I'm like, shouldn't you be downstairs doing the surgery? If you're why are you up here talking to me? I yes. mean, so and then you know, I I remember um when I was uh, studying uh, psychology, uh, just talking about just the different personalities and and, and the same thing we're talking about, and how they have to be kind of arrogant, and they also have to have uh, just talking about surgeons, and they also have to have this ability to to almost not see you as a person. Because they don't want to freeze 
you know, if they if they think about, okay, this is a father that I'm cutting open right now, they might, you know, so they have to really kind of look at you almost like they're looking at a car, you, you know, the different parts of a car. I, I just thought it was interesting, you know, just something yeah. like that. And I think most doctors probably, like we, um, to varying degrees, but, you know, it is, it benefits us to be able to, you know, see you as a person, but then also be able to step back from that and not get mm -hmm. so emotionally invested in, right. in right. kind of what's going on. It, it you know, it, right. it helps, you know, sometimes when your emotions get involved, you might, you might not treat them like you treat everybody else, you know, so you, you want to make sure that, you know, for good or for bad, you know, sometimes we have to deal with people that are people that we don't necessarily, that we wouldn't personally like, as personal, you know, relationship, but sometimes we, you know, have these, these patients that we, we have to see who may, you know, may not like women, may not like black people, may be pedophiles, may, you know, have <laughs> criminal that. histories, may, <laughs> I mean, we, we deal with all kinds of people, you know, so it, you know, it, it benefits most of, you know, to be able to kind of like step back and try to be as objective as possible, but can be tough at the same time. Right, right, right. So you have a consulting business now, is that correct? Where you consult with CEOs and and things like that? Yeah. So I um I took care of, like I said, really severely mentally ill people for a long time. And I was working on my master's in public health. I can't even remember what year it was at this point. And um I got really, really focused in on the uh, physician suicide numbers and the physician mental health numbers. And so um, in this country, we lose about three to 400 physicians a year to suicide. I did not know that. And so um, it, you know, was something that really kind of stuck with me. I had a personal history of, I had a really bad pregnancy um, when I was in training, when I was a resident. So when I was a psychiatry resident, I actually had both of my pregnancies were really terrible. Uh, one, I was a medical student, but that one was handled great. The school was extremely supportive. I had all the support in the world. Um, not, not, a, not a whole lot of, of issue, like the social personal part, just the medical stuff. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had her a week later, I was getting a pacemaker put in like unexpectedly. Um, it was it was just a rough time. And so I was having a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic attacks. And during that time, I remember thinking, who in the heck am I going to see? Like, who in the heck? Who who am I going to go see? So I'm a psychiatry resident. The good therapists that I knew in town, the ones I knew I worked with, so I couldn't go see them. Um, the ones I, I didn't know, I was like, oh, well, do I go see them? I might work with them in the future. I don't plan on leaving. Like, who do I see? And I, so there was a stigma. There was all of that. So I just kind of took care of it on my own. Um, and luckily I had the tools to take care of it on my own and, and was able to, you know, kind of get, get much better from it and, and not have to deal with it going forward. But over the, over time, just seeing lots of colleagues struggling and just seeing, you know, how people were struggling. I thought, you know, this might be a place where I can be helpful. And then as I, um, as I kind of dug deep in it, I realized it's not just doctors, like really professional people in general. Um, it's a struggle if you're a recognizable face in your community. So even if you're, you know, an attorney, you're a doctor, you're, you know, on the news, you know, you, any of these things, you really, you know, you can go see whoever you want to. You can go see a local psychiatrist, therapist, but you know, if you're a pediatrician and a mom of one of your parents sees you at the psychiatrist's office, they're going to say, I wonder what Dr. So-and-so is doing in here. Forget that they're there. They're going to be trying to figure out why is Dr. So-and-so in here. And so there is stigma and a lot of professions with licensing boards like attorneys and, and doctors, you know, they, they may ask some intrusive questions about 
your mental health. And so, you know, people just don't go deal with it. Right. And there's the stigma even within those careers, because most of, you know, as, as much as, you know, we all have worked really hard and we can all recognize and we can give other people great advice. Um, we, we just kind of always expect each other to just tough it, tough it out, tough it up, you know, no matter what. And so it was not just physicians. And it seemed like the higher you got up into your career, like the, the, the more difficult it could be right to deal with. So I end up seeing a lot of professionals of color, black people mostly. Um, and you think the higher we get up there, the lonelier it gets because the fewer of us there, there are around. Uh, we tend to not have the supports that other people have. Uh, we tend to have a harder time with the social aspects of work and kind of that, you know, playing the game or however you want to call it. And then some of us really struggle. So you know, I have a practice where I am licensed in 10 states and, you know, I can see people from a variety of places. I can see them in their time. Right. Because if I'm a surgeon, I might need to see somebody at seven in the morning as opposed to, you know, noon because I'm busy. Um, if I, you know, have weird schedules, you know, I need somebody who can accommodate my schedule. Um, if I, you know, I, I may need to see somebody on a weekend. You know, I, I can make that happen with the way I've structured uh, my practice. So I'm pretty proud of that. And then, you know, even doing talks, corporate talks, because sometimes we we totally ignore the fact that our mental health completely affects our work performance. And historically, we've just kind of said, leave that at home. Like you, you know, when you come in here, you leave all that outside. But that's so unrealistic. It's just not even funny. Like, it's, you know, if you're depressed and anxious and having trouble sleeping and you can't focus and you, you know, you can't organize your thoughts to get your work done. It, you, you can't just leave it, leave it outside. So doing some talks with, uh, in corporate settings, you know, just about, you know, how you can, how you can get the best out of your employees, how you can create an environment that is not toxic. How can you create an, an a, a environment of wellness where your employees, you're able to get the most out of them. Um, you know, and trying to get them to understand that even if you don't really, I mean, even if you're the most, you know, horrible person and you don't care about your employees' mental health, you care about their functioning at, at your job and you care about turnover because nobody likes turnover and having to keep training people over and over again and deal with that. So, you know, just that kind of work to really kind of, you know, help companies kind of figure out like, what are we doing wrong? Why are we having so much turnover? Why is morale low? You know, what does, what, how does trauma affect us in the workplace? Because it does in every environment. Um, so, you know, talking through all those things to kind of help build these, these environments where people can thrive and just kind of be who they need to be. Yeah. So you said, you, you said a lot there. Um, this, this idea that, um, surgeons or medical medical practitioners really have a high suicide rate. What's the reason behind that? Is it just the pressure of being where they are? Or? Um, I mean, you know, being in a, in a caring profession is tough. Um, so we have just the typical burnout stuff, but there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. We are, there's a physician shortage. Doctors in general are asked to do, you know, more with less um, we we have, it seems, lesser and lesser amounts of time to get people seen um, because that's the way the systems are, are set up for the most part, you know, having to churn people, you know, turn them in and out and be quick and speedy. And, and then we have electronic records now, which are stressful for some people. You know, it was a lot easier. I was kind of at the, at the point in training where we transitioned in the middle of my 
training where I went from paper charts to electronic records. And it was it was a huge difference. Like it's a difference between me having a chart and being able to sit and kind of look at somebody and talk to them um, versus, you know, having to be here typing and the person's over here, you know, and you're trying to keep up because, you know, I don't want to spend several hours after work trying to finish my note because I was looking at you while you were here and not typing. And so there's lots of paperwork and lots of demands. And, um, you know, in general, I think people people don't always view doctors in the most favorable light all the time. Um, there are a lot of times where, yeah, you know, I mean, there's, there's going to be, you know, bad, bad apples in every, in every group, but um, it sometimes seems like, you know, doctors in general sometimes get a bad rap. Like people think, oh, they're just out for the money and they're doing this for the money. And there's all these rumors about, oh, they're getting paid extra for this and that. And, um, it just, you know, people people get very frustrated with us, you know, if 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 we don't give them exactly what they're wanting or give them the diagnosis they want or able to make stuff happen when they want it. So there's a lot of stress that goes in there and you know, a lot of and 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 just like I mean, doctors are people. So, you know, we doctors have depression, right? But we're we're not really trying to go deal with it for a variety of reasons, mostly stigma and time and, you know, lots of reasons there. And so, you know, when those things don't, don't get, don't get checked, they cause problems. Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of stories, uh, a lot of similarities between, you know, that profession and, and law enforcement. I mean, there's mm -hmm. the stigma of not going to get checked um, in, in law enforcement, you know, there's a stigma of not going to get dealing with the mental health because you know, you can almost lose your uh, your livelihood. You have, have your gun taken away, depending what state you live in and the rules. You're gonna have your gun taken away, and you know, be sat down, put on um, administrative leave. I would assume probably almost the same thing with 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 the medical profession too, as well. Right? Not necessarily like getting put on. I mean, if you have a problem and you're not able to take care of patients, then you may. You know, I mean, you may like we have to think about public safety is you know number one. Um, but some of the some of the questions are some of the state's board questions are things like, have you ever, have you, like, have you ever in your life been treated for a mental health issue? So, you know, if I'm applying for a license in a state today and I saw a psychiatrist 10 years ago for, you know, postpartum depression, what does that have to do with today? Like absolutely nothing, but it's a question. And so then if I answer it, then I have to answer all more questions, more intrusive questions. I may, you know, they may request records from my doctor or they may request something from a doctor saying I'm okay. It just goes through. So, it, you know, sometimes it feels like why bother? I don't want to have to go through all of that, you know, and even risk what we've worked so hard for because medical education is expensive in this country. It's expensive. Like most of us are coming out of med school with two to $300,000 in debt. Um, and it's, it's just very pricey. So to put that at jeopardy, um, that's, that's a lot. It's a big ask. Mm. Uh, my man, Mark Neal says, uh, meeting people where they are, uh, that is the most sensible and sane way to interact. Love it. Love it. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like that whole common sense isn't always common um, <laughs> thing. Like it makes sense. It seems like we would just do it all the time. But, you know, how often are we trying to make people be what we think is normal or what we think is how they should be versus figuring out like what what is this person's ceiling and helping them get there? So I think that that's that becomes the, the, the issue, right, is meeting people where they are, because like you said, you try to try to make people. Uh, be be where you, you want them to be. As a matter of fact, I just had a conversation with my daughter 
um, and she talked about um, life at this at this one particular church in which um, uh, they were kind of overbearing in their approach to getting people to be, you know, to live up to this to the certain standard mm-hmm. instead of you know, meeting people where they are. And so therefore, a lot of people were leaving the church, you know, mm-hmm. because they couldn't live up to this high expectation and standard. Right. So just meeting people where they are, I think, is, I think is it should be common sense, right? <laughs> it should it should be common sense, but as we all know, it's it's not so common. Yeah, so. absolutely. So so in dealing with CEOs, I mean, do you feel do you find a lot of uh, pushback as far as um, uh, not not so much pushback, but do you find a lot of maybe hesitancy, resistance because they think that they have achieved a certain level that they should not need a certain level uh, that they should not need to be taken care of, um, if that makes sense what I'm saying. So you're, you're probably doing a presentation consultation and I'm a CEO and I should be above these these feelings of of inadequacy or whatever. Yeah, I th- and, and I, I mean, I see it even not just with CEOs, but I mean, you think about anybody who's achieved a high level of education, a high level. I mean, a lot of times we think we can handle things on our own. Um, you know, if we could, we probably would not be in some of the situations that get people in front of me in the first place. I mean, I've had boards request that I see somebody, you know, or refer someone to me saying, Hey, you need to be seen by somebody. You should, you should do this. Um, It is hard to convince people that they need help. It really doesn't matter how smart they are. It doesn't matter how much education they have or how much money they make. Um, It really is tough to sometimes convince people that, that they need to let somebody help them. Um, yeah, and, and I think when it comes to like companies and running your company, I think there, you know, there are still some people in pretty powerful positions who probably don't care very much about people's mental health and things like that. But by and large, I think people are mostly good. I would like to think, um, and I most of the people I run into are mostly good people um, and tend to care about other people's mental health more than they do their own. So that is, you know, where and maybe that's that denial of no, I'm good. I can take care of me. Like those people, they probably can't take care of themselves. But me, I'm good. Um, I run into a ton of a ton of that. Uh, which means most people come to me when they've either hit some kind of rock bottom or like something big has happened and a spouse or someone has said, Hey, you need, you need to go see somebody like, this is not, this is not good. This is not okay. Um, Usually, usually folks are referred to me by someone in their lives who are like, Hey, I think you, you might want to go, might want to go do this. Um, Now, are these, are these instances, I would imagine they got to be pretty severe, right? Because we're not talking about therapy or even a psychologist. And I do want you to to differentiate between a psychologist and and, and Mm -hmm. psychiatrist. Uh Um, So when we start there, difference between psychologists and psychiatrists. So a psychologist is, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. Okay, so a psychiatrist went to medical school, could have decided to become a pediatrician, a surgeon, an ER doctor, any one of those things. And they chose to be a psychiatrist. So they're a medical, they're a physician. Prescribed medication and psychiatrists are trained in therapy. And so there are plenty of psychiatrists out there who do therapy and medication. Um, Typically, those are going to be doctors who are in a private practice kind of setting or a setting that's okay with them doing that because a lot of systems don't necessarily like their psychiatrists to do a lot of therapy because they don't get reimbursed as well as they do for medication management. It takes longer. Um, So you'll (laughs) see a lot of private practice doctors doing therapy. Like in my practice, I do both therapy and psychiatry. So um, I do both. Psychologists are typically PhD level um, therapists and they 
you know, are um, most of them ones I know are, are really fantastic at what they do. Uh, and and every everybody's gonna have their own you know therapists that they deal with or what their what their niches are or what you know what patient population they're most passionate or comfortable working with. Um, but in most states, uh, psychologists are not prescribing. There are a, few, a handful of states that do allow prescribing for uh, for psychologists, um, but not a lot of them. Not a lot of them. So mostly the psychiatrist is going to do mostly medication, but some of them do therapy and some of us do therapy and medication. And then psychologists are mostly going to do therapy, but there are a handful of states that will let them prescribe medication. Okay. So people who is particularly those who have been referred to you, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they said a family member needs to say, mm -hmm. Hey, listen, you need to go talk to someone. I would imagine that they've had some, some serious, um, maybe a mental breaks or, or serious problems going on that they want to, uh, I mean, it could be irritability, right? If you live with somebody who you notice is just edgier and more irritable, um, that might be a reason that you say, hey, we can't keep doing this. You, you need to go see somebody. Uh, if someone's not sleeping uh, well and you are in the house with them and you know they're not sleeping, you may become concerned and, and say, okay, you might notice that, you know, it may be something small. I mean, you might notice that that person normally on the weekend is up and raring to go and wanting to do stuff. And lately on the weekend, they just want to stay in bed and don't want to get up. Uh, their motivation seems to be lower. Maybe they're not paying as much attention to their hygiene as usual. Um, you might notice they're more anxious. Um, you might notice that that person is kind of self-medicating them in an unhealthy way. So maybe, you know, maybe they started off drinking a glass of wine in the evenings to unwind and that has escalated in time to a bottle of wine in the evening. And you're concerned about that. So it may not be like what you would consider maybe really serious things. Um, but when you live with somebody and you're close enough to somebody, you pick up on those, those changes. Um, and you know, you kind of go, okay, we got to do something about that. Mm. Um, so, you deal. Um, I, I want to talk about the consulting part of your business here. You you do you do again CEOs or, or or business people and trying to help them become the best that they can be, get over mental roadblocks and things like that. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so, um, can you give us some some ideas as to some of the mental roadblocks that people have in in not achieving their their best? Some of the self limiting doubts uh, and things like that. Yeah. So, so I mean, some of that might just be you know, how you grew up, right? Some of that might be that you, you know, your, your upbringing kind of predisposes you to having that negative self-talk kind of constantly, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes our parents are, they mean well, right? And they ride us because they, they want to see us do better and they want to see us live up to, to all that potential they see in us. Um, but sometimes that, the way that that comes out is not always the kindest um, and that can follow you. You're being very that delicate one. there. Yeah. <laughs> it's not always the kind of like some, I mean, right. sometimes it's just flat out me. Right. And you hear right. those voices of what do you, what are you, why are you doing this? You are never going to get this right. What do you, you know, you hear those voices. You can be a 60 year old man and can still hear your dad telling you, you know, you're never going to be able to do this or that. You know, sometimes those things just stick with you. Um, for some people though, it, it, it is, you know, I mean, this, uh, illnesses like anxiety and depression, they're going to affect your your concentration and focus. Um, they're going to get in the way. If you have a job where you have to be able to multitask and you have to be able to, you know, go from thing to thing, if you have to be able to handle 
unexpected things quickly. And that's going to be tough for somebody who has some depression or anxiety going on. It interferes with those skills. It interferes with memory. Um, it can cause you to be a little edgy and irritable, which is going to interfere with your ability to kind of interact with the public or with your coworkers or, or your you know supervisors. It's going to interfere. It's going to get in the way. Um, people who have significant trauma histories, um, you know, there's this, we talk about this thing in mental health called adverse childhood events. And um, basically it's, it's a way of kind of looking, taking a person and looking at their childhood experiences and seeing how these adverse childhood events play into kind of the person that's standing in front of you. And so there's a scale, it's like 13 things and um, you know, if you score above a certain level, we, you know, that you have a higher chance of having um, depression and other mental health issues and suicide attempts and physical health symptoms. And so we know that experiencing childhood traumas changes the structure of your brain. So experiencing abuse and neglect as a kid, that doesn't go away once you turn 18, like magically your brain goes back. You become an adult who has these same issues and they just carry on into adulthood. Um, so, you know, and 50% of people in this country have experienced at least one adverse childhood event. So it's probably not unrealistic to think that we probably in our workplaces have people who probably have gone through some significant trauma in their lifetimes. And what does that look like? People who've experienced trauma, who, you know, whether they have PTSD or not, sometimes that, you know, people with PTSD specifically, they may be really angry. Like they just may go off at the drop of a hat. Um, you know, little things that you think is no big deal might be a trigger for them that that takes them back to that place, you know, of their trauma. And then, you know, they're reacting and you see all kinds of things. You see, you know, they're really angry in the workplace and can't get along with anybody and always, you know, think somebody trying to do something to them and always think somebody's against them or, you know, or they might be really, really docile and not speak up for themselves and never live up to the potential that you see in them because that's just the way they've learned to manage is to just shrink and not be seen. Um, so a lot of times, you know, your upbringing, your childhood, the stuff you bring, you carry with you into adulthood, it, it's going to affect you at work. It's going to affect your work performance. It's just kind of hard for it not to. Yeah, that, that's really a lot there. So people who've been through these adverse childhood traumatic events and their, their brain has been changed, is it possible to get it back to normalization? I mean... Well, that's where the work comes in, right? Like you got to be willing, you got to one, be willing to say, okay, yeah, maybe something is wrong. Maybe I do need to get into some kind of treatment. So it takes it takes a level of realization and um, the earlier you can get that going, the the better, right? Like the earlier you can kind of inter intervene, um, the better off you are. We just sometimes tend to sweep that stuff under the rug and then we wait until, you know, someone's an adult and then we say, man, that person is angry. Like they're just so angry. Ooh, that's, ooh, he, you know, he's just really angry all the time or she's always going off on people. But we rarely take the time to step backwards and take the step backwards and find out like why? Like when did that start? Kids aren't just born angry. Like, you know, I mean, most kids are pretty, pretty happy happy little beings, you know, just happy letting people take care of them and stuff. But somewhere along the way, something changes, you know, and what is that? It can't just all be that these kids were born with angry personalities. Like I just refuse to believe that that is what's happening. 
and more often they were sucking on a bottle just mad <laughs> right like you, that's not what you see you don't see angry children with their pacifier you know ripping you don't see that um, that's not what's happening so i you know i think we just we have to like really really be able to start early early on um because all this starts in elementary school right we can't wait till people are grown and working to try to well, again, that's, that's what my question is. So you're dealing with a lot of times CEOs. You talked about lawyers and doctors and stuff who are probably dealing with a lot of the stuff. So they may be angry or or I will also want to talk to you about the people who are shrink down. I know a lot of people like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's got to be such a tough nut to crack because these people are adults. As we mentioned, they're CEOs or they're, they're people in the higher high education status, but but they face some conflict and then now they shrink down. So how does how does how does all that work together? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to make it to CEO status if you shrinking down. It's kind of hard, um, and I I mean it is. I mean it's just if you you know it it's tough. I mean it's it's tough to get ahead if you're if you're the kind of person who when you are faced with any kind of conflict you shrink down. But you know sometimes um, everybody every leader isn't loud and boisterous and life of the party kind of person. So sometimes like the introverts of the world get get looked over and get left out of of some of those conversations. So they may just be a, you know, a quiet storm versus a loud storm. Um, you know, those people just have just as much ability to lead, you know, as those loud, gregarious kind of people that we tend to look for. But people who who have trauma, some of them do shrink, you know, when they when they feel like they're they don't want to be seen, right? It was protective for them not to be seen. It was in their best interest not to be seen, heard. You know, it was they they, they were safer when they just kind of, you know, laid low. And so they just learn to lay low and, you know, people tend to walk over them or they don't ever live up to their full potential. Um, I think that's an area where in, in professional settings, if you saw somebody like that, I think companies could um, really, really, kind of hone in on some kind of professional like readiness or like coaching to kind of help build that person up um, a little bit. Because I, you know, honestly, the higher you get up into, you know, qualifications and and education as far as hiring, the pool gets shallower and shallower. And so like you want to be able to kind of coach people up. Sometimes you find somebody you really like, but you can't do anything, you know, you can't do anything with them because they, you know, you're like, oh, I just need you to be a little more, like a little more assertive, a little more. Those are areas that, you know, impl- companies really could, could really coach some folks up, I think, and see some good, um, good outcomes with. We'll always do that. We just kind of are quick to move on to the next one. Like, move on oh, to the well. next one. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say that they got oh, to well. move on to the next. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's those that are CEOs who just don't care about people's mental health and they just kind of move on to the next one. You can't get it. I got somebody who can or will. Right? Yeah, it's kind of the world we live in. That's kind of the world we live in. Yeah. Uh, do you work a lot with those type of people who are kind of shy, bashful, and kind of shrink down? Do you work a lot with them? Every now and then, I'll get you know someone for therapy who you know, clearly it's an assertiveness issue. It's a, um, you know, we can dig back and see kind of how we got to this point. Um, and we work on, you know, creating experiences where they get to speak up. Um, and it's so fun to see, to see them kind of bloom and blossom a little bit. Um, and it can be done, you know, with the right supports in place. It's just, sometimes people just see those kind of traits as well. That's just kind of who I am. So it just is what it is. And 
Do you think that the person would see that as a self-limiting behavior where they say, okay, I'm just a quiet, shy person and never see that they have the potential to be the CEO or boss or mayor or whatever? I think most people just assume they just don't have it in them. Mm. So some people don't have the desire, right? They're like, look, I'm kind of quiet and shy. I don't want to be, see, I don't want to be a CEO. Like I'm happy where I am and that's perfectly fine. But if you have that desire in you, you know, you feel like you feel like you could do more. You just feel like these things are getting in the way. I think that's the perfect person to jump into kind of working on on what that looks like and how they can, you know, strengthen, strengthen that. Right. Right. Chris has a pretty peculiar question. He says off topic, but I'm curious if doctor is offended or troubled by patients addressing her as Nicole and not by her title. Is that something that, that happens um, to you? It just, you know what? It really depends. And I will say, you, you don't shrink down at those points, though. No. Right? You <laughs> it really depends. Sometimes it doesn't bother me at all. And I think, like going back to that, we all have, you know, biases and things. Like if if an elderly person calls me Nicole, I literally could not care less. I'm like, yes, ma'am. What do you need from me? <laughs> like, what do you want? Um, and it just never bothers me. I think tone matters. Relationship matters. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, a, a lot of times I will say this, the people that say it to me, they will never call their male doctors by their first name. Well, ever. I was about to ask you that. It's got to be, ever. it's got to be sexist and in, in do you, yes. have, have you dealt with any type of, and I really didn't want to take it here, but I will because the question's open, it, racial things where, where some people have not respected your, oh, your absolutely. title. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, and you can kind of tell when someone calls you by your first name, because typically if someone calls me, you know, Nicole and I, my, you know, my blanket response is, and I, I don't necessarily know that I get offended or upset as much as sometimes I just let it go. Like, I just, I know if somebody's, you know, 80, I'm not going to be like, oh, you need to call me Dr. Washington. Like, that's just not happening um, because I'm just not going to do that. But, you know, when it's somebody and they say, oh, Nicole, and I, and I just say in professional settings, I prefer to be called Dr. Washington. And, um, most people are like, oh my God, absolutely. Yes, no problem. Um, occasionally people get in their feelings about, you know, me even bringing that up. Like, like, how dare you, you know, even say that you want me to refer to you. Um, and I, sometimes I'll ask them, I'm like, hey, but what do you call your, your male doctor? Like, do you ever call any of them by their first name? Like ever, ever. Um, and, and what's just, the response like, to that? It's got response just, most people are like, they don't answer. I mean, they're kind of like, you know, yeah, there, yeah, there's nothing. Okay. Yeah. Um, because we all know what the answer is, right? Like most people are not calling their male doctors, you know, hey, Jim, or hey, Joe, how's it going? Like they, um, you know, most people are not. Um, we tend to, you know, I think the title just helps to keep it professional. Um, it's very easy in psychiatry. And so it's like, I, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more um, making sure people are referring to me as Dr. Washington, unless they're, you know, 80. Uh, but because in, I think it's important for them to know that our relationship is different and that I'm not a friend. Um, you know, people tend to tell their psychiatrists things that other people just don't know about them. So there are things I know about people that nobody knows. So the lines could easily get blurred where they would feel like I was more of a friend instead of that, you know, professional relationship. And I have to keep that, keep that boundary really tight. Um, but yeah, I've, it's happened over the, over the years. Um, and people respond, you know, different ways. Some people get offended that I say, Hey, I prefer to be, you know, referred to as Dr. Washington in professional settings. Some people get really upset about it. Um, tells me more about them 
than me. I just go, okay, well, that was interesting. That, that, the whole title thing has always been so curious to me because, you know, in, in, in law enforcement, you know, you become a sergeant. They, they depending again on, on who you talk to, uh, they uh, often would say someone should call you sergeant all the time. They see you in the grocery store, you gotta be sergeant so-and-so, you yeah. know? So I would assume it, it, it's the same thing. And I had other doctors on, and they, some took the stance that you need to call me doctor all the time, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, because I earned this and you, you earned it. You know, yeah. you, you earned that title. So you Well, I mean, even if I see you in a grocery store, our relationship is always professional. So it's always a professional setting because we, we are never gonna have a casual setting, right? So we're, okay. we're okay. Our, our relationship will never be casual. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a code of ethics. Psychiatrists are, of all the physicians, kind of held to a higher code of ethics standard than most other physicians, right? So you think about like family medicine doctors can take care of the whole neighborhood and the pediatrician can take care of all the kids on their kids' basketball team and nobody thinks twice about it. As a psychiatrist, I am not allowed to have any relationship of any kind, professional, personal, otherwise, with someone who was a patient of mine. So I can't hire a former patient who does landscaping to landscape my yard. Like I can't hire the person, I can't rent a rental property to someone who's been a patient of mine that I know about. You know, I can't, you know, so like the lines are very, very firm. Um, and I, I don't ever, I mean, you know, I don't necessarily as much get upset about it as I just think, to me, it just gets my wheels turning about like, why is this person doing this? Like, is it because I'm a woman? Is it because I'm black? Is it because they just don't like doctors in general? You know, do they have a personality disorder um, <laughs> or or do they just think, oh, we're cool. So I'm just going to call you like they don't mean anything by it at all. So, you know, I mean, I, I usually am more so left thinking like, OK, why is this person calling me by my first name? The older I get, the less it happens. I'll tell you that. Um but yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, people not wanting to see me because I'm black. I mean, I've I've been mistaken for, you know, the the nurse, the um, and, you know, being a nurse is fantastic. Being a, you know, nursing assistant or a medical assistant is fantastic. Everybody in the hospital brings value at every level. But why do you assume that when I walk in a room with a long white coat on that I'm here to pick up your lunch tray or that <laughs> I'm, you know, that I'm the, the nursing assistant who's coming to check your vitals? Like, no, that's not how it's not how this works, you know? So, yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. Do they do to prepare you for that type of thing? Do I talk about that in med school? About you know? No, no, they don't. Um, and I think one of the. I think we've avoided race in general in medical education for a long time. Um, and this past year that has really come to a head, like this past year with everything that's happened um, within 2020, like, I mean, just everything's been knocked off the rails, you know, to what we thought we knew. And so, you know, there's all kinds of things we, we've done in medicine for years and, and saying like, oh, black people do this and white people have this and black people have this more and white people have this more. And we really, you know, have in this last year made a huge strides, huge, huge strides with realizing that, you know, your race is not genetic. So, you know, like saying black people have diabetes more. OK, that's that's great. But why? You know, it's not just because I'm brown that I have more diabetes than you know, somebody who's white is that's not what it is. You know, is it, is it, is it the, so all those social determinants of health, the neighborhoods we live in, the poverty, the incarceration, the, you know, lack of education, like, is it all those things, you know, that, that we're experiencing more that's probably leading to that diabetes more than the fact that I have brown skin? Yeah. 
It's not. I was I was always offended at that when yeah. whenever I heard those those type of statistics. Like, oh, yeah. you know, you're if you're black, you're more likely to have you know diabetes and hypertension. What? It yeah. just made yeah. no sense. Yeah. yeah. So, so we're, we're I mean we're finally getting to a point where we're kind of exposed, where we're exposing that stuff for what it is and really pushing to make some changes. But those aren't things you get prepared for um, in, in med school. Those aren't things you get prepared for in training. And it really, you know, I mean, I because my work is different, I, when I do work at facilities, I'm usually just kind of there in passing. I kind of slide in, do my thing for a few months and slide out. Um, so I don't have to deal with the politics of where I work. But I don't know that I've ever worked in an environment where, you know, a patient is shouting out racial slurs at me and somebody's been like, hey, do you want to talk about that? Like, how was that? Are you OK? I just think people just like, oh, it's just part of the job. Like, It's just part of what you deal with. It's just part of it. Um, and I'm all, <laughs> I get like if somebody comes in and they're psychotic or they have schizophrenia, um, they may say all kinds of th hurtful things to me. I mean, I've been called names that I'd never even heard of. I've been, you know, un unfortunately, I don't know if it's because where I live and I don't know, but I am apparently racially ambiguous. Um, so I've been called every racial slur in the book. I mean, I've been called everything. It's like sometimes people here can't tell where I'm from or what. I mean, I've been called a spick. I've been called a terrorist. I've been called a nigger. I've been called everything um, here because people just don't know what to call me. Um, I've been called all kind of female negative words. I've had people threaten to kill my children. Like I've had all kinds of stuff happen. Um, and I can take and it. This is, this is, I hope this are, these are patients doing this. Yeah, these are patients. Yeah, these okay, are all okay. patients. I don't know like, if you're I've talking about the grocery store. <laughs> no, I've, no, no, no. I've had all this stuff happen. Like these are, like I've had all this stuff happen with patients and I can handle it when someone has an illness that kind of, they, they, they say things that, you know, their filter is kind of impaired. Um, but, you know, a lot of times it's not. It's just mean people, right? People, it's just people who are very much in control. So I've never had anybody really come back and go, hey, are you okay? Like, how was that? Are you good? Or, you know, you, you're you okay. I think we just, it's, it makes us uncomfortable, right? Like race and politics and all that stuff, just make the religion, it just makes us so uncomfortable that we just completely avoid it instead of dealing with it. Right, right, right. So so let's get back to uh, some of these self-limiting behaviors. Everybody's not because of insurance. You talked. We talked about um, um, you know the the price of medicine in, in America and healthcare and all that kind of stuff. Is there anything that we can do in our own lives as we listen to you yeah. <laughs> to to really try to get over these these self limiting thoughts? Yeah. So there are. Um, first of all, I think people would be surprised at the services that probably are available to them that they don't access, right? Like there's a, it, people are sometimes really shocked at like, what's even available in my area? What can, what can I do? What can I go to? Now I know this last year, a lot of people through the, through, if they were insured, were able to seek mental health treatment with zero copay um, because of everything that was going on last year. I had a lot of people taking advantage of, of that. So if your if your insurance offers you if you have insurance and it offers you maybe, you know, discounted services, if you use one of the online uh, uh, services, you know, look into it. See if you see if you can find somebody that that can help you. Um, there are there are books out there right now. I mean, we're, we're at this age where you can just Google something and you can find all kind of resources out there. Things are great. Um 
therapists, sometimes therapists have uh, sliding scales, right? So they'll do it based on your income and they'll slide and scale you. And maybe you can um, find a place to, to shave so that you can do that. Um, I want us to think about that as, as being super important and just necessary. And because if we can get that together, man, I mean, it's going to free up, free up a lot of our, our mental space to be able to do a lot more things. So sometimes it's a matter of just sitting through like, like, what does it even cost? Because I do think sometimes people have these really excessive ideas in their mind about what mental health treatment costs. Like, how much does this cost? Therapists have sliding scales. There's a website called Psychology Today where a ton of mental health people advertise their practices. And you can go on there and filter for your zip code and your, um, your you know, like what your issues are. If you're insure, you can put that in there. If you want to see a woman or a man or you don't care or whatever you want to put in there for filters. And um, it'll show you people who have sliding scales and they kind of tell you what their price ranges are. And, um, you know, you like, oh, I can I can maybe afford that for a few months. Like I could maybe do that. Um, those are things you can do. But there are tons of resources out there. Um, there are books out there. You know, there's a book called uh, Mind Over Mood, I think it is, um, for people who have depression, who want to kind of do a self-study. There's like panic and anxiety workbooks and there's all kinds of things out there. Um, that you could do. But unfortunately, I think if you have a lot of, like you're really trying to combat some demons and you're trying to, you know, move through some stuff that that's been kind of, you've been carrying around for years. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to need some support for that. And that's not something you're going to be able to do on your own. So I would definitely look for more slide and scale kind of places and people that can really, really help you. In some places, if you're not insured, some cities have resources for people who aren't insured um, to be able to get those services. So I would, I would, Take a look around and see what's see what's there. You'd be surprised at what's available to you. But making sure that at least you are taking care of your physical health, right? That you are, um, you know, doing the best you can as far as keeping moving, uh, keeping your body moving, and being kind to the one body that you're given and feeding it what it what it needs um, instead of always what it wants. Um, you know, so well being said. physically, being physically active, um, and um, also just your like, like the the kind of mental wellness things that I think you can do. That doesn't matter how much money you have or or how much time you have, is you know, one being mindful of the people that are around you. Right? Sometimes the people that are around us are so unhealthy, um, and they just add to our stuff. Like we just keep going and pulling in the same kind of folks into our life. We just keep pulling in the same kind of people that are causing the same kind of problems. Um, and so just being really mindful, I'll say I have learned over the past several years to be so, so protective of my personal time and who is in my space and who I allow to like be in my air with me. Um, and it has caused me to have to distance some people that I've been rocking with for 40 years. It's caused me to have to distance um, some people that I have, that I share DNA with. Um, it has caused me to have to really kind of do some, some serious reflecting on the relationships in my life. But I mean, at the end of the day, when I come, like my personal time is peaceful, like I'm protecting my peace at all costs. And I tell people that all the time. And I say it at the end of podcast. Sometimes I sign emails, protect your peace sometimes, but it's expensive. Like people think it's just pretty easy to protect your peace, but it comes at a cost. Like you got to cut some folks off. Um some that. some people that's that's certainly not easy. And that's that's no. actually a really, really good point. Is that it's never easy. 
because people don't want to cut off their family. We've been told for, from time immemorial that, uh, you know, family's everything, family be there, blood is thick in the water, but sometimes the family are the biggest toxic um, yeah. uh, stressors so in life. So is toothpaste, also thicker than water. So is toothpaste. That's <laughs> what so I tell people. So is toothpaste. It is right. also thicker than water. So that means nothing to me. No, I think film is important. I think film is important. And I think that sometimes distancing yourself and cutting somebody off are two different things. Like sometimes I have to know when I like at what capacity I can handle certain people. And at, you know, like I have to know what my limit is. Like what's my amount that I can handle to where I'm not you know, like it's not taking me down. Then there's an amount. Like I know what that amount is. I know with certain relatives and certain friends I've had for years who are like family, I know that there's a there's an amount. And so I have to know for me, what is that amount? And I have to be comfortable figuring out what that is and kind of distancing myself when it gets to that point. Um, we're not really good at setting boundaries with people we care about because we mm. just, you know, I mean, we just have been kind of like, oh, well, that's just how uncle so-and-so is. Like, it's okay that he calls you fat every Thanksgiving. Like that's <laughs> how he is. You just have to take it. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not okay. Like I, uncle so-and-so needs to go have a seat. Like we, I'm not going to do this. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be abused by people who are supposed to love me and care about me. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. So we figure out, you know, is it our expectations we have to manage? Because we know Uncle so-and-so is going to call us fat every Thanksgiving. But yet every Thanksgiving, we are surprised and appalled and upset. Like we didn't know it was coming. Um, you know, like sometimes it's us and our expectations. We keep we keep expecting people we love to be different than who they've shown us they are. Uh, and sometimes just even the acceptance of going like, okay, Uncle so-and-so is going to say this. And I'm not going to pay attention. And I'm going to go on to the next room. And this is what I'm going to do. And I mean, we just have to like curb our expectations of people, you know, work on boundary setting um, with folks, but just like protecting your your space. Like home should be your space that you go to to recharge in whatever way you need to recharge. And if somebody is getting in the way of your home space, we got to work on that. Mm. Yeah, that's well said. Can you tell us about your podcast? Yeah. So um, the podcast is called the C-Suite Confidant. C-Suite uh, are like the CEOs, CFOs, CMOs, COOs of, of companies, but really it's for any um, business professional. So um, it's for any professional who, you know, is is working at in one of those higher level positions or any any professional. Most of my listeners are black. Um, and we just talk about whatever, you know, all things mental health, wellness. Um, the episode that's coming out here in the next couple of days is about COVID anxiety. So it's about um, somebody because people can uh, DM me or email me or they can leave a voice message on the website. They can leave questions that they want ask. And someone ask a question about, you know, having COVID and they're having a lot of anxiety related to the fact that they had COVID and kind of getting back out in the world and what do they do about that. And so I'm just going to talk about all the levels of anxiety uh, dealing with COVID and we'll talk about that. But we've talked about, you know, somebody most recently said they had an employee they thought was lazy. And we talked about how sometimes anxiety can be paralyzing and can look like laziness. And so, you know, how we, we want to pay attention to those things. So really it's just a place where, you know, anything that can affect the mental health of the, the busy professional is fair game. So we'll talk about anything 
Um, I think I'm going to start opening up to where if people have questions, I might bring them on for the episode and then talk, we can talk about their question on that, on, on the, on the episode. So it's, um, it's a labor of love. I was sharing with you earlier that I had done it. I started it and then it wasn't, it wasn't feeling right. It felt terrible and I, I stopped doing it for a while and then I revamped it and I feel much better about it now. And it just, um, just for everybody listening, you know, the lesson I learned in that was um, to kind of just like cut out all the noise, like just do what brings me joy and brings me fulfillment. Um, and now that I'm doing that, it feels much more comfortable and it doesn't feel as awful. So I'm just really trying to lean into things that make that give me fulfillment and make me happy um, and not be so concerned about what other people are out there thinking because somebody's going to resonate if somebody if somebody's going to hear it, it's going to resonate with them we we all have our our people um just a matter of finding finding who yours are very good thank you well i really really appreciate you coming on the show and spending some time with us and uh imparting some wisdom into us i really learned a lot thank you appreciate it no problem no problem thank you for having me it was nice I to meet you I don't see any uh, questions or comments. Uh, Chris is saying uh, healing, a, healing a soul is a special kind of bond. Thank you for your service, doctor. Oh, thank you for that. And it's, it's doctor's week this week. I think tomorrow's doctor's day. Okay. If you if you happen to see your friendly doctor in the next couple of days, tell them happy doctor's day. We will certainly do that. Except if we, yes, uh, I was going to say, we, you know, make sure we don't call them by their first name. But you, <laughs> You, we have to make sure that we do that all, all, all the time. Even, I mean, it's always a professional environment, which I thought was actually very amusing. <laughs> well, the relationship is always professional. Yeah, it's always professional. I mean, and as a psychiatrist, <laughs> trust me, when people see me, they don't, they pretend like they don't know me and I pretend like I don't know them. So I don't really see a lot of people uh, in, like people aren't like, hey, it's Dr. So-and-so. Like people are avoiding me like the plague. I don't see anybody in public there. They don't want people to know that they're seeing me. I guess, I guess, I guess not. Well, again, that's, that's, well, I don't want to continue on, but, but that, that continues the stigma though, right? I mean, that's, they don't want them, they don't want them it to does. know. It does. Uh, we got to get, what's your advice? We'll start, we'll end off with this. What's your advice for, for, for ending the stigma about mental health, whether it's a psychiatrist, psychologist, a mental health therapist. Talking we, about we it. We have to talk about it. Like we, as people in the world have to get comfortable, um, just talking about it. Like if I'm, if you're having a bad mental health day or if you're, you know, if you are struggling, just just being comfortable talking about it. If you do go see a therapist and and you get benefit from it, like not being afraid to say, yeah, you know, I was dealing with some of that and I went and talked to somebody and it just being real matter of fact about it. Like, I think if we could be more matter of fact about it and not um, be more matter of fact about it and not be. Um, and not be so negative. Um, like, you know, we call people crazy all the time and we like, oh, that girl act like she bipolar. Oh, she got this. Or, you know, he's, he's crazy and he was doing this. And we just got to like give people some grace and, and, you know, kind of support people through stuff. We got to quit poo-pooing people. Like when people tell us, oh, I'm feeling depressed or I feel like I don't want to live. And the first thing we'll say is you don't mean that. Or you don't feel like that. <laughs> You'll be all right. Go, go <laughs> right. sit down. You know, or you need to go pray about it, right? Like we are not telling people to pray their diabetes and heart disease away, <laughs> but we are always telling people to pray their mental health stuff away. So we just need to like be supportive and just talk about it as matter of fact as we talk about 
oh, I went and, you know, taking my blood pressure medicine or went and got my sugars, you know, check, gotta go check my sugar before I eat or, you know, we just need to make it like so matter of fact that it's not that big a deal. Very good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much to all the guests, uh, to the guests, to all the, all the people who uh, commented. Uh, to and LaVonda's right. We do need more psychiatrists of color. We need more mental health workers of color, period. Like we need, we, and we, we, we need, we need, we need us to be what the population is. Like if we're 12, 13% of the population, we should be 12 or 13% of healthcare. Workers. Do we know what that is? Uh, LaVonda's in, is, as, 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 is actually a mental health therapist or so. Do we know what that number is for psychologists, psychiatrists? I don't know what it is for psychologists. I mean, I do know that of all physicians, uh, black women physicians only make up 2% of all physicians. So um, we're, we're falling way, way, way low on the, on the, uh, are there recruiting efforts? I know for police, for law enforcement, they were ha they specifically had us going out for recruiting. Are there, are there any type of recruiting efforts for to, to get people to go to school and, and, and take up mental health? Yeah, I think we're like well, just medicine in general. I mean, we're we're you know just physicians in general. We need more black doctors. Period. Like we need more people are more likely to go see somebody who they who looks like them and they identify with, and a lot of us are more likely to be the ones to take care of us. Um, so you know, we need more of us in all fields. There's a move, there's a organization, a movement, uh, black men, white, black men in white coats. They just had a really great documentary. If you haven't seen it, you should go check it out um, and try to watch it. Um, it is, it's really great. And it, uh, the doctor who started that is a young black physician who is his, it's his mission to increase the number of black men um, in medicine, but that documentary talks about, you know, why, like, why, where are we, where are they, you know, why, why aren't they there? What's the, what's the deal? I mean, it's really a great, great, very well done um, documentary, black men in white coats. Um, yeah. So we're constantly pushing, but right now, black men, we need, we definitely need to be pushing people into, into medicine early. So we need, I don't know, shadowing opportunities and we need to, they need to know they can. Right. If you really feel like you need to see it to know that it's possible and you've never seen a black doctor in your whole life, you may never know it's possible. Well, that's well said. Well said. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Don't don't hang up. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you guys so much for coming on, uh, for tuning in. Really, really appreciate it. We'll see you guys um Wednesday. We have a show Wednesday, really good show. Uh, messy entanglements is back on. Messy entanglements. We talk about this is more of the serious shows. We talk about more ratchet kind of stuff. So, oh, that sounds I'm, fun. I'm gonna come back for that one. I'm gonna come back for that one one time. You had to bring me back for that one one time. We'll talk about that. It's this. We talk about the just different crazy stuff that we get ourselves into as far as relationships and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you the information so you could. I, I don't know if you want to be a guest on it. We we got to try to keep you professional and stuff. So, yeah, but you can fine. certainly come on and, and, uh, and comment. It's, and stuff. it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. fine. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> 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 all right all right <laughs> we'll see you out of okay take care <laughs>